Tonight, grounded. United Airlines suspends a pilot who celebrated the brave attack by Hamas on Israel. Who exactly is in the cockpit flying you home for Thanksgiving? Hamas victory. A deal to release hostages gives Hamas time to regroup and rearm. Did the ceasefire now protesters get President Biden to bully Israel? Poison pills. So the United States is going to seek to work together with China to target the fentanyl components. We've heard that before about fentanyl. Would securing the southern border save more lives? And political football. Britney's tour. She's down in, it's kind of warm in Brazil right now. With Biden's woes, the White House should be a sure thing for Republicans. Including Obama. I'll tell you what, you take a look at Obama and take a look at some of the things that he's done. Or will it get yanked away again? Breaking news, it is 2 a.m. in the Middle East where the negotiations continue. We understand that both sides, uh, Hamas and the Israelis, are awfully close to a deal to release some, perhaps about 50 hostages, uh, in what will be a fairly significant victory for Hamas. The Israelis, of course, want every minute they can of momentum on the battlefield. That deal will get some hostages back. It gives Hamas five days to regroup and rearm. The details of that are still being worked out. We've been told for about 24 hours they are this close. Uh, If they actually get that close, uh, it will actually be breaking news. But we'll be back to it in a minute. Uh, Meantime, we're also following new evidence about Hamas's massive command center below al-Shifa Hospital. Why a truce will make the propaganda war all the more important. Why is this blast door so important and why won't the new york times believe literally the videos of what's happening below al-shifa hospital president biden is leaving for thanksgiving he'll spend the week in nantucket live pictures you can see of joint base andrews that is mini air force one the presidential 757 it is taxiing out for a flight into a rainy and snowy nantucket president uh, may or may not speak uh, tomorrow if we get a deal Uh, here in the next couple of hours. With that, we welcome you to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight, we'll come back to America and talk about terrorists here, at least terrorist sympathizers, in the cockpit. Ten-plus million Americans are going to travel by air this Thanksgiving weekend. And we have no idea, literally no idea, how many will be piloted in planes flown by pro-Hamas pilots. The Stop Anti-Semitism Project exposed the social media posts of a United Airlines pilot who goes by the name Ibrahim Masalam. He called the October 7th attacks, which killed 1,200 Israelis, including seeing Hamas roast babies in ovens as, quote, resistance by brave people. He posted that on October 7th. It appears as though United didn't know about the post for more than a month, which in and of itself is scary or didn't care to know about the post, which is also scary. More than a month, he flew unsuspecting passengers, someone who glorified Hamas's actions. When we asked United for comment on the situation yesterday, it took them seven hours to respond, saying they had removed him from service. 
with pay, of course, while they look into the matter as if somehow there would be an explanation for these posts. His Facebook profile is of Gaza drenched in blood. You can see him there in his United uniform. This was not an unprovoked attack, he wrote. We sent United a list of remarkably simple questions. Does United social United screen social media posts of pilots for terrorist sympathies before hiring? Does United screen current pilots social media posts for concerning thing, be it about terrorism or anything else? What is United's policy for pilots social, posting on social media about terrorists? In light of the Maslam situation, are you rethinking any policies? In light of the Maslam situation, are you looking at social media posts of pilots and or other employees responsible for passenger safety? Very simple questions. And seemingly questions that we would all like an answer to, especially if you're flying United this weekend. I am. We got nothing in reply. United's chief communications officer is Josh Ernest, formerly of the Obama White House, except now he doesn't have to answer the questions. Then we have to think about Secretary Pete Buttigieg. He's been all over TV today talking about travel tips and the like. He's also been pushing diversity for FAA hiring. Have to wonder if diversity includes terrorist sympathizers. United has an entire website dedicated to their diversity push, unitedaviate.com. So just save that thought for one second. Remember, pilots can board planes without going through security. It's called the Known Crew Member Program. You've probably seen pilots walking through the out exit of security in airports. Makes sense, right? If someone's in the cockpit, stopping them from having a pair of scissors doesn't make sense. But if a pilot wanted to crash the plane into something, suddenly a weapon in the cockpit becomes extraordinarily useful. Being able to get through security with that weapon is terrifying. There are roughly 73,000 airline pilots in the United States, over 617,000 people who hold active pilot certificates. And as far as we can tell, there is zero effort to scan their social media. If you're flying a little Cessna, okay, we get it. But if you're working for United Airlines, perhaps posting about Hamas, somebody would have noticed over a month. What about the other pilots? What about the pilots he flew with? Think about that after 9-11. Malaysian 370. Or the Egyptian Airlines flight out of New York, in which a pilot flew it into the ocean, killing everybody. The airlines just don't seem to care. Perhaps United worries that looking for terrorist sympathizers might hurt their diversity score. They proudly display their diversity awards on United Aviate. As we understand it, after 9-11, it's up to the airlines to police their pilots. Aside from a cursory background check for flight school for foreign pilots, after that, what pilots post on social media doesn't get much scrutiny unless their employers did it. Speaking of employers, we checked with American, United, Delta, Southwest, JetBlue, and Spirit to see if they are looking at the social media posts of their pilots. We have not heard back. It's scary, right? It's not a United thing, but I know Josh, he doesn't like to face hard issues. So it makes sense why United doesn't want to talk about it. They hope this will go away, that nobody will talk about it. But they should talk about it. They should be willing to face it. They should be willing to discuss what they're doing to protect all of us because we have a right to know if terrorist sympathizers are flying our loved ones this weekend. Join me now, former Deputy National Security Advisor to President Trump, Victoria Coates. Victoria, it's good to see you. Thank you. Does this surprise you? Great to see you, you, Leland. And you know, it really does because when I was in government serving in the White House, serving in the Senate, my social media was monitored all the time. 
And uh, quite frankly, the Heritage Foundation also monitors our social media now to make sure that we're not posting anything disturbing or, or alarming. And that's the important thing about social media. This is public. This isn't some private uh, private communication that's being intruded upon by an overzealous FBI or DOJ. This is this is what this person wanted to be known for publicly, and I concur with you. This is a totally a DEI move. They wanted this guy as an official pilot to United, and that was more important than taking care of their uh, their passengers. So it was Stop Anti-Semitism, which is a group that is going around and looking at social media posts and seeing doctors and lawyers and all sorts of other people, uh, Apple employees who have posted these kinds of things and, and outing them, for lack of a better term. What I'm curious about is why, number one, why United isn't doing this, the other airlines aren't doing this, but number two, are we to believe that of 73,000 airline pilots, this guy is the only one? Yeah, this is deeply concerning. And I mean, what about the pilots for uh, airlines from from the Middle East? You mentioned the Egypt air uh, disaster in 1999. Uh, That's what really should concern us. And of course, we can all remember, well, those of us of a certain age can remember 9-11, and how dangerous those planes became in the hands of of the terrorists. And so that this has to be a special case. It has to be something we look very closely at. And, and even a small plane like a Cessna or something like that could do horrific damage to critical infrastructure. Yeah, no, I, look, say an electric yeah, no, I, I think. No, I, I, I get that. I, I guess at the same level, if you, you know, Cessnas are one thing. If you're walking through. Uh, and we all have to take off our shoes and can't take more than three ounces of liquid. But the guy who's flying the plane is posting about how how Moss is great. There just seems to be a radical disconnect. I can't no, explain absolutely. it. You, you maybe maybe it's, is it political correctness, you think, or is it just laziness by the airlines? Well, I, I might embrace the and there. But I think I think certainly, you know, they they want to have these minorities represented as professionals someone like a pilot. And the problem that, that the anti-Semitism people are, are discovering is that it's not more education that cures anti-Semitism. Some of our most educated individuals are our most virulent anti-Semites. And so this isn't, yeah. this isn't something that more information will help, and it has to be watched and united in keeping us safe. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Look, and we haven't heard back from American or Delta or any of the other airlines, so if we do, obviously... Uh, We'll let folks know. Victoria, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Happy Thanksgiving. Good news if you're traveling by car this Thanksgiving weekend. Well, at least you won't be driven by somebody with that on their social media. But turns out Americans' highways are in good shape. Well, some highways. Important highways, like I-10 around Los Angeles. Remember, a homeless encampment blew up and burned through the highway. They fixed it, literally, in eight days. The I-95 closure in Philadelphia, same thing. Huge fire. Bridge collapsed. They rebuilt it in 12 days. Even President Biden visited when they rebuilt it and celebrated. It made us think about priorities. 12 days to rebuild I-95. The president talked about it, made a priority. Eight days to rebuild I-10. Gavin Newsom's out there. Kamala Harris went out to L.A. as well. It's been 292 days since the train derailment in East Palestine. And yet folks there report the cleanup isn't close to done. They report huge problems still with respiratory illnesses and kids feeling sick. No presidential visit and no help. So when folks in rural America say they feel forgotten, they have good reason to feel that way. Obviously, President Trump makes 
much of his pitch about rural and working class Americans, people who feel forgotten and left behind. As you're around your Thanksgiving table this weekend, invariably somebody will lament having to pick between Trump and Biden out of a country of 330 million people. We feel your pain. 58% of Democratic voters would like to see a candidate other than Biden. 53% of Republicans still aren't sure if they would vote for Trump. But there is hope for all those who, of us who wish it was something different. Who is ahead around Thanksgiving the year before does not necessarily make it to the finish line. Think of people like Howard Dean, Rudy Giuliani, Hillary Clinton, twice, Herman Cain, Ben Carson, even Elizabeth Warren. They were ahead in their respective years about this time, one year before the general election, and none of them became president. So Trump and Biden should be worried that just statistically one of them may not make it. But there's a different worry for Trump right now. Yes, he beats Biden in some head-to-head matchups. He should be, however, doing a lot better. Our friend Eric Erickson pointed out the Republican problem in his recent piece, writing, if you are a Republican and your frontrunner is tied with the most unpopular president in modern history and all your other potential candidates beat him handily, you might want to rethink your frontrunner, referring to Donald Trump. Eric joins us now, host of the nationally syndicated Eric Erickson Show, author of what I would argue is the best conservative morning newsletter. Show notes, it's good to see you, my friend. Thank you. Um, Thanks for Look, there is a group of Republicans out there, right, who always warn that Donald Trump's going to win the primary and then lose the general. Why would this year be any different? And why would it be any different than... 2016, where we heard the same warnings and he won. So to step back, we've got to go back to 2016 when you're running against Hillary Clinton, who it turns out nobody liked and she ran a bad campaign. Remember, not going to Erie, Pennsylvania, not going to Wisconsin or Michigan in the final weeks of the campaign. The Democrats are going to make those mistakes again. So really what Republicans who are pro-Trump need to ask themselves is who voted for Joe Biden in 2020 who's going to come back to Donald Trump this time, it's a tough question to ask. And that's why I think they go to, well, the election was stolen, that because that, that's their apologetics for how he lost. And when you look into 2024 and you look at the polling, the reason Joe Biden is behind, according to the NBC poll, the ABC poll, the Fox News poll, the CNN poll, the Pew poll, you name it, it's because Democrats aren't happy with Joe Biden. Well, guess who radicalizes Democrats more than anyone else? Donald Trump. So you make him the nominee, those Democrats are going to go home to Joe Biden, if only because they think Donald Trump's an existential threat to American democracy. You say radicalize, maybe motivate, I guess you could also, you could also use as a word. Um, my, my question would be this, though. Just from an, an analyst perspective, and you and I have spent a lot of time talking about Nikki Haley, uh, and Ron DeSantis, who are both uh, far behind Donald Trump, Vivek Ramaswamy, far, far behind. Uh, none of them have been able to cut into Donald Trump's lead. At what point do Republicans, uh, as, as, un, as unseemly as it might be for many, um, have to just sort of accept the fact that he is going to be the, the likely nominee and perhaps the real drama is going to be on the Democratic side? You know, is probably they're going to start doing it before Iowa. That's the problem for DeSantis. He needs to recover some momentum. It doesn't help him to be stagnant after before he got into the race, being the guy to beat and suddenly gets into the race and craters and hasn't really recovered that momentum. 
His campaign theory is that if they bounce out of Iowa having won, people look at Trump as not inevitable. Also, when you talk to the Haley and DeSantis people behind the scenes, they actually think there are a lot of people who emotionally tell pollsters they're voting for Trump, but won't do it at the polling. I think you got to go with the polling average that has Trump as the advantage. The question is yeah. on the Democratic side. You've already got the delegation process underway for South Carolina and, and the revised map, excluding New Hampshire. You're going to have to have people start qualifying there for the Democrats, just like Republicans, if they want to have someone else enter the race or they're going to be precluded on the delegate front. That, that becomes problematic for both sides. It makes it far more interesting for you and me to watch this. And by the way, I, I should say, I still think Trump can beat Biden. It's just going to be resource intensive in a way Republicans don't have those resources. Hmm. All this talk is making me hungry. It's making me want to go to your Instagram. Not only is Eric Erickson a genius when it comes to political commentary, he is an expert on the grill. At some point, we're going to put up the pictures of your food, and they are perfect. So uh, not only if you subscribe to Eric's newsletter, yeah, there it is. Not only do, not only do you get uh, his brilliant political analysis, you get his recipes uh, as well. Eric, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. We're thankful, as always, for uh, your insight and analysis. Right, it's good to see you. Happy Thanksgiving. All right. Coming up next, President Biden calls fentanyl deaths an American tragedy. Why isn't he doing more to stop the killing of so many Americans? So many people have died. It's heartbreaking. It's, uh, it really is an American tragedy. Schoolyard priorities. The mother of a girl stabbed by bullies sues the school district. Will this get schools to start protecting kids rather than pronouns? with breaking news. It's about 2.30 in the morning, 2.20 in the morning in Israel. And so far, the Israeli cabinet has not approved this pause and hostage swap that would happen between Hamas and Israel. Uh, We've been hearing that it could come at any moment uh, for about the past 24 hours, that the deal was just this close. But besides the hostage swap deal, which is what's going to get the headlines, the ground truth in Gaza Uh, has changed sort of by the hour, and we're going to take you through it and why what you're seeing is so important. The areas in blue here are areas that appear to be under Israeli control. Um, And you can see they own from the Gaza Strip to the Mediterranean, from Israeli territory in here, cutting the Gaza Strip uh, in half. Then they came around and they went into Al-Shifa Hospital. The areas around Al-Shifa Hospital here, here, and here are all areas where Hamas is still fighting against the Israelis. Reporting indicates pretty heavy fighting there. Uh, And we understand that the Israelis have also moved into an area just in there uh, near the Jabala. Uh, It's called the refugee camp. It's really just a a large area with a lot of buildings, so it's not really a refugee camp. Uh, There's been enormous amount of fighting uh, with Hamas here uh, along this western edge right there and there. Hamas and other Palestinian militant groups uh, have attacked the IDF uh, at a number of different places uh, here. And this is where the tunnel system that we've always talked about, the tunnels extend out into here and under here so that Hamas is able to move their men and equipment. It's called Israeli clearing operations. They put out uh, some video of this. This is where they're literally going building to building to clear out Hamas fighters. Obviously, it's a lot slower going because they have to look up uh, into the buildings and then down to see if there's any tunnels. Uh, so far... Uh, They've arrested over 300 militant fighters, they say, uh, since the start of the war 
uh, here in Gaza. We'll put up a map of the Al-Shifa hospital now. This is the compound that has had so much controversy surrounding it uh, in terms of whether or not Hamas was using it for an underground facility. And day by day, there is more and more evidence from the Israelis uh, that beneath this aerial view of a hospital, uh, there is a whole underground command center for Hamas. The latest uh, piece of intel are these pictures put out of the Israelis of an entry through a blast door. So it was a a tunnel corridor that came down, shaft, if you will, about 25 feet. And then this would be the entrance uh, into the Hamas lair. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel John Conricus uh, is with us uh, of the IDF. Um, Lieutenant Colonel, you and I have talked uh, from the beginning of this war. You stated from the very start, uh, Israel's goal is to destroy Hamas. How close are we to that? Hi, thank you for having me again. Always a pleasure. And uh, I think uh, your viewers are getting a very good understanding of the combat situation on the ground that I haven't seen elsewhere on other networks. Uh, And that's uh, good detail. Uh, Our goal is to uh, make sure that October 7, the massacre, the slaughter that uh, Hamas perpetrated never happens again. And in order to achieve that, we have to dismantle Hamas. We are making very good progress, according to plan, of, uh, the twi- of the 12 Hamas battalions in northern Gaza. 11 are at various low levels of combat capabilities. Uh, and there is uh, some fighting, significant fighting going on in Jabalia that appears to be the last significant combat capabilities of Hamas in the north. And we are fighting there now. We have sustained casualties, and we have inflicted a lot of casualties on the enemy. And uh, we will uh, deal with Hamas there, and then we will uh, continue to solidify our control and, most importantly, focus our uh, efforts on the enemy here. Uh, Still remaining, of course, are 12 additional battalions belonging to Hamas in the southern Gaza Strip, central and south. They have not yet been dealt with, and they are, of course, Uh, on uh, our to-do list, and we will engage with them when the time uh, is right and when the conditions are favorable. All right. We look at this map. um, It's no question right now that Israel has the tactical momentum uh, on the ground against Hamas in the north. And obviously, uh, as you all cut north to south on the Gaza Strip here, um, the, the reinforcements from the south can't move north. That's why that happened. Um, How worried are you about this potential pause uh, that would give Hamas time to regroup, to rearm, to move hostages in their underground tunnels? I think it is uh, prudent to assume that if any such deal will be made and it will be approved by the Israeli government, we're still waiting for news about that. But if that happens, then, of course, we should assume that the enemy will use the time and resources available in order to resupply and strengthen their or enhance their military capabilities. I don't think that Hamas will spend any part of the day caring for civilians or providing humanitarian aid. They will care for their fighters. They will try to resupply. And we, of course, will be monitoring them and uh, preparing for the next stage of operations. Some people are... Fair, fair enough. Hamas, yeah. Hamas never cared for the civilians in Gaza to begin with, so no, no reason to think that they're going to change. So much has been made of Al-Shifa Hospital. I want to ask you about this. It's near uh, the Mediterranean. The reason Hamas put 
uh, their headquarters there that you all have said, uh, manyfold. One is that they know it's not going to be bombed from the air. Uh, and number two, they thought it would take a lot longer for the Israeli military uh, to get there. There's been a lot of discussion about whether or not there really is a command and control center. Obviously, you all put out uh, this video. Uh, this is of hostages being brought in uh, to the Al-Shifa Center. And in some of them, you can see uh, Hamas gunmen with their weapons uh, inside the hospital, bringing the hostages um, in. This is the map you all put out that showed the Al-Shifa hospital complex. And then slowly, you've been putting out various uh, pieces of intelligence like this picture, this video of the, the blast door and the like. Uh, the Daily Podcast, for example, from the New York Times this morning, um, seems to keep saying we haven't seen enough evidence. Um, I don't know if there ever will be enough for the New York Times. Uh, not really a lot of other explanations for a blast door built 25 feet below uh, a hospital that leads to a labyrinth of caves other than a Hamas command center. But can we expect over the next few days for there to be more uh, of these type of releases coming out? Can you telegraph to us a, any idea of what you all think you might find? Yes, in short, we are going to expose what is behind that door. We sent out the picture to show the world that we have opened the door and the doors and that we're going to expose what is behind them. And of course, we did that knowing that we have uh, a lot of uh, interesting information in store. And I think that eventually... Uh, even the uh, pro-Hamas New York Times will come around and admit, just like they admitted after their uh, the very poor reporting of the Al-Ahli hospital incident some uh, three weeks ago, when they got it totally wrong and used Hamas information and reported it for, as the truth, uh, the number of casualties and blamed us for bombing the hospital uh, based just on what Hamas said. Uh, they were since then forced to... Uh, how did they say it? Not to apologize, but to clarify yeah. uh, something about their coverage. I think that they will uh, be forced to clarify additional things again. And I am totally confident that all of our claims that we have been making consistently all along uh, will be shown and proven with video footage, with reporters on the ground, seeing mm. with their own eyes and filming with their own cameras. All right. Fair enough, sir. We, we appreciate it. Thank you. Um, we'll talk to you soon, and I uh, hope you get some sleep time sometime. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We invite you to sign up for War Notes. It gives you a free look at the show every day at 4 p.m. So go to warnotes.com. Warnotes.com. We made it as simple as you can, and subscribe for free. The notes started as our internal email discussion about the most important events of the day. It's literally how we put the show together. You get to be a part of it. You can respond to the email with your thoughts. You can join us on social media at Leland Vittert on Instagram or Twitter. That is warnotes.com, and you subscribe for free. Live pictures in Nantucket, Massachusetts. President Biden is on his way there now to start his Thanksgiving holiday. Still a little rainy in Nantucket. He left Washington on the cusp of a major domestic political win that he desperately needs. This likely hostage deal that we are probably just hours away from will reduce the pressure from the far left of his party. Of course, we're still waiting on an announcement from the Israelis. As we predicted, international pressure now favors Hamas. The public relations war is in full swing tonight. Hamas is going to try its hardest to secure a pause in the fighting, then extend it. They'll use videos of suffering Palestinians and leverage Israel's quest to destroy the terrorist group once and for all. 
It's a sad state of affairs where hostages are used as, well, beyond political pawns. There's real lives hanging in the balance. With that, we bring in Jason Greenblatt, former White House envoy to the Trump uh, to the Middle East under the Trump administration, Bacha Ungar Sargon, opinion editor for Newsweek. Uh, Jason, let's start with you real quick. Um, would the Israelis be making this deal, you think, if there wasn't significant pressure from the United States? Yes, I think they would. I think the Israeli government, which let's remember is a unity government, is being very, very careful with what they do. I think that, the, and you just heard the IDF spokesperson, they're going to be really careful to monitor what's happening. They understand they're going in completely eyes open, understanding that Hamas is going to take advantage not to take care of the Palestinian people who they've subjugated, but they're going to regroup, they're going to rearm. But I think that the Israelis understand they need to make this deal uh, if it makes sense to them and they can protect the IDF. I guess, Bacha, in look, the Israeli mentality towards hostages is different than the Americans. Uh, you know, there was a time that America did not negotiate with terrorists because uh, negotiating only gets more hostages taken. Ex- explain to us briefly why the Israelis are willing to make these deals of hundreds of Palestinians, in the case of Galad Shalit, a thousand Palestinian prisoners for one Israeli. Well, clearly what's happening now is very different than the Gilad Shalit situation, right? Um, It was very clear to Israel from the beginning that it was going to have to get rid of Hamas, eviscerate Hamas's ranks. And that, from the get-go, Leland, was intention with doing the most to secure the hostages because Hamas has been saying from the beginning, get us a ceasefire and we'll return the hostages. Now, of course... Do not believe anything Hamas says. But that tension at the heart of this that was created by these monsters in this terrorist group has been there from the beginning. And so I agree with Jason Greenblatt that I don't think that this is external pressure. There is immense pressure from the families within Israel. And it has become these families of the hostages have become a political constituency that has the heart of the people. Although, of course, everybody is ambivalent about it because of who is being released in exchange. Uh, Jason, look, I I have great respect for the IDF. Uh, Fair to say they're also the ones whose intelligence services missed October 7th. So you'd think they'd have to at least internally be a little worried about what they might miss uh, in those five that five day pause. But I I just go back to this. uh, Why on earth, when you have the tactical momentum, when you're able to keep rolling, do you pause and the Israelis have to know that in those five days, Hamas will use whatever tools they can in a very favorable media environment to make it so much harder for Israel to restart their military campaign. I don't think they're going to need time to restart. When they're looking into the eyes of these grieving parents, really the grieving nation, I mean, thinking about it, people's loved ones are being tortured there under the tunnels. They were tortured probably when they were dragged into captivity. I think Israel needs to rescue these people, and they will restart this war immediately, unless there's a reason not to restart the war. Their goal is to decimate Hamas. Hopefully they reach that goal. They're certainly doing a lot to do it. And as the IDF spokesperson has shown, or will show, as he says, he's going to show the truth about what's happening with Hamas that the New York Times and others lie about. So I think they really have no choice but to do this. Bachit, you know, there's that old saying, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Why is it that the New York Times, that has consistently carried water for Hamas, consist- consistently reports what Hamas says 
is unquestioned fact and then demands this extraordinary burden of proof from Israel. And I, and I, I fundamentally don't understand this. Why is their support of Hamas more important than even their basic journalist integrity to say in the past Hamas has seriously lied about things and we should note that their credibility is of question. So first of all, Leland, I and the rest of the Jewish community owe you a huge debt of gratitude for your coverage. The quality has been impeccable. Um, You never compromise on your journalistic values. And what you're pointing out is exactly correct, which is the rest of the media cast in this country is in the bag for Hamas, a terrorist organization that mass rapes and murders and dismembers babies in front of their parents. It is horrifying. They have woke mind virus. They go to elite universities because the vast majority of journalists in this country have a degree from an elite university and a graduate degree where they learn that there's no difference between right versus wrong. There's only who has more power and who has less power and whoever has less power is inherently more virtuous. That's how they see it. There is something in them that cannot help but give Hamas the benefit of the doubt, as disgusting as that sounds. Look, I I, I didn't really believe it, um, frankly. And then I listened to the Daily Podcast uh, from The New York Times this morning about Al-Shifa Hospital. I thought to myself, it it was like living in, you know, the the mines of Al Jazeera, um, because I've lived in that mine before when I was when I was overseas. I appreciate you both being here. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving to you both. Uh, we'll Happy talk holiday. soon. Thank you, Leland. Thank you. Right. Coming up next, from China to the cartels in Mexico, President Biden vows to stop the deadly fentanyl pipeline pouring across America. Is his plan a little too little too late? Chemicals and pill presses that are shipped with few controls from China to uh, Western, to the Western Hemisphere. Chemical cartels use these components to manufacture this legal, illegal substances and smuggle them into the United States. So the United States is going to seek to work together with China to target the fentanyl components. That's President Biden today announcing what he calls a major crackdown on fentanyl smuggling. The Mexican cartels kill roughly 75,000 Americans a year with their drugs. Almost all of the chemicals come from China to Mexico. We'll save you a walk down memory lane, but for a year plus now, we've been saying this isn't about money, but rather policy, specifically treating the drug cartels like they're terrorists, something Mr. Biden has refused to do. Derek Maltz knows a lot about fighting the cartels, ran special operations for the DEA. And look, Derek, I, mean, I think we should say it's personal for you, and uh, rightfully so. Behind you are the pictures of kids who've been killed um, because of fentanyl, from fentanyl poisoning by the cartels. What do you make of sort of taking China's word at this? Well, Leland, it's pathetic. Uh, the speech today was pathetic. Reading off note cards. How about speaking from your heart, Mr. President? Thanksgiving, 300 families will not be there with their kids. Every day, it's 300 families. But what I'm really concerned about, Leland, is he said he's committed to doing everything in his power to get the crisis under the control. How about starting with shutting the border down because your policies are facilitating the Mexican cartel's ability to not only make billions, but to kill Americans at record levels, historic levels. This is not grandpa's drug crisis. This is a mass poisoning against our citizens. And the Chinese Communist Party and the networks in China have been involved for many years. I mean, Leland, you know, because we've talked about this before, you're talking about Poisoning our country with chemicals coming in 
coming out of labs from Wuhan and other labs in China. And it started like 2008 with K2 spice synthetic drugs. Then yeah. it went to fentanyl. We got xylazine causing necrosis in people's yeah, body. Help me, understand, how, help me understand something. I can't, and, and this I'm interested in. You, we see video all the time from Skid Row in San Francisco, obviously before they cleaned it up for President Biden's visitor out in Philadelphia and sort of the junkies uh, taking heroin and everything else. But then you look at where the most number of people are dying. It's in rural America. It's in Appalachia. Um, it's where I'm from in Missouri. And I'm wondering why that is and, and how the, the drug networks have targeted rural America versus suburbia. Well, Leland, we've heard this saying all the time that every city in America is a border city right now because the cartels have infiltrated every single city in America with their poisonous fentanyl, their cocaine, their meth, their heroin. But now all of those drugs are tainted with the fentanyl powder. And the reason they can do it is because they're operating with impunity and now they have a lethal partnership Mm. with the Chinese. Now, one thing America must realize is we have the most amount of Chinese nationals that we've seen ever that I'm aware of apprehended by Border Patrol, middle-aged, military-aged men coming here to America, setting up marijuana grow operations all over the U.S. And God only knows what else yeah, is going we've, we've on done, in these places. We, we've done a lot, a lot on that, including that a number of the people have been caught, which means there's a number who haven't been caught with the same background uh, who have ties to uh, the Communist Party, to the PLA, People's Liberation Army, Chinese intelligence and the like. Derek, uh, thank you. We appreciate it. We'll talk soon, all right? Thank you very much. Coming up next, a mother sues her daughter's school district after a brutal stabbing nearly left the girl dead. Hmm. Did the school know that this was coming and let it happen? Why would teachers allow a student to be stabbed? We'll see you in a minute. You're watching a young woman stab a classmate 14 times. The school allegedly knew the assailant made threats, even had the knife, but did nothing. Now the victim's mother, Ashley Wilson, is suing the school. The middle schooler survived but required plastic surgery for the stab wounds to her face, neck, torso, other parts of her body. She needed 18 stitches in her back alone, pulled her hair, turned completely red. Teachers at Ola Middle School in Henry County, Georgia, are accused of negligence. For ignoring the threats, of course, this brings up a much bigger issue about bullies being allowed in school. Jay Edelson is here, founder and CEO, Edelson PC. Uh, Jay, it's good to see you. Look, we keep seeing schools kind of allow this because they don't want to take sides. They don't want to punish bullies. Is is what's going to happen to schools, what's been happening to police departments in terms of getting sued going to happen? So it's it's actually the same issue. Uh, So what we're going to see in this case is... The school district um, is going to hide behind what's called qualified immunity. And uh, there's actually a Supreme Court case that that is going to be heard in January, which is going to define both the rights for victims like this, but also uh, people who were mistreated by the police. So we'll see how that plays out. This is this one of the worst situations that I've seen, though. As you mentioned, it looks pretty clear from the complaint um, that the school district knew about this. They were told repeatedly that a girl had a knife and was targeting this group of kids, and they did nothing about it. And I just spoke with the lawyer earlier today, Adam Princetonthal, 
And, um, and according to him, he's got a strong case. And it looks like there may have been teachers who were watching the buildup before the fight started, and they did nothing. How much of this has to do with the political correctness, right? If uh, one student's of a different race or one student has special needs and the schools don't want to take sides because there is no right and wrong, there's only the victimhood uh, Olympics and everybody's pronoun must be protected. But if you're a pretty white girl and you're about to be stabbed, well, then we're not going to do anything. It's crazy. I mean, we're we're living in the matrix right now. Um, they were repeatedly warned. We, we had a girl, she's in middle school. This is a type of case where, where, you know, people become lawyers to bring these types of cases. She was stabbed 14 times in the head, in the face, in the back, and in the chest. The, it seems clear that the school could have stopped this and they did nothing. And what's really, um, Do you have uh, any idea special, why they did nothing? I, I think you're right. I think that, you know, we're, we're in a weird paradigm where, Schools don't want to take a stand. And one thing, which hmm. if you look at the video carefully, it looks like some of the students were actually jumping and cheering this on, um, which is one of the most upsetting things. Um, yeah. You know, it was a viral moment for them. Yeah, they were they were they were enjoying it. Look, hey, look, maybe holding people responsible. Sometimes money is the only thing that all of a sudden changes um, the dynamic. Jay, it, it's good to see you. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. We always appreciate you. Thank you. Great seeing you. Yeah, great seeing you. Some thoughts to keep, uh, shall we say, peace at Thanksgiving. Tense time in America right now. How you can give something to your friends and family and keep everybody happy while they eat apple pie and turkey. See you in a minute. Hi, everyone. Dan Abrams here. Dan Abrams Live, weeknights at 9, 8 central, only on America's fastest-growing cable news network, News Nation. To find News Nation on your screen, go to joinnn.com or stream News Nation on Apple CarPlay and Alexa. No matter what, people need what you bring them. But sometimes a choice has to be made. You can make a safe one. Always expect a train. Know that trains can run on any track at any time in either direction. Understand that trains are faster and quieter than you think. You can stop track tragedies. Never try to beat a train. You are more important than your packages. See tracks? Think train. For more information, go to oli.org. No young person should ever have to worry about having a safe place to sleep at night or whether anyone cares about them. But the reality is one in ten young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For over 50 years, Covenant House has been helping youth in crisis and giving them the support and tools they need to succeed in life. To learn more, go to covenanthouse.org today. Thank you for caring. When it comes to a gun suicide attempt, all it takes is a moment. Heather and I had an argument just like any other couple. I was lost. I had snapped. I had a gun and I was going to take my own life. Heather helped me realize that there was still a life to live for the better of myself, my family. My weapon is now safely put away. A moment of crisis can happen to anyone. Store your guns, locked, unloaded, and away from ammo. Hear more safe stories at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by Brady and the Ad Council. Pass it on. Here's a short quiz. Who won Best Actress last year? Who won the World Series two years ago? And finally, name your favorite teacher. Pass it on. Now, I'm guessing that the last question was the easiest. Why is that? Because that person made a difference in your life. So, 
Go ahead and make a difference. Because making a difference is in you. Pass it on. From PassItOn.com. Okay, let's roll, dudes. And I'm going 10, 30, 65 in a 45 zone. Yo, why's my gas tank on E? Oh, and hello, officer. Wait, what? I'm losing my license. I'll lose my job. And here come the court costs. Oh, man, that's the thing about pedal to the metal, dude. You speed, you lose. Slow down. Driving is no game. A message from Virginia DMV. This is Nick Smith. Get my podcast in the mix at newsnationnow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting a Teenager Learning the Lingo. GOAT, G O A T, acronym, stands for greatest of all time, as in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner. They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit adoptuskids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. As an adult, kids want to know you're listening to them, but they also want to listen to you. When it comes to alcohol, they want to know your expectations and how and why to avoid underage drinking. Talking early and often about it in everyday conversations reinforces your message and keeps lines of communication open. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. All right, this Thanksgiving, we here at News Nation give thanks to you, our viewers. Without your trust and time, nothing we do or say matters. We hope your Thanksgiving centers around fun, food, football, love, family. Invariably, though, when it does turn to politics, tell Crazy Uncle Ed about News Nation. Tell him why you trust us, why you think we're fair, why you choose to spend part of your evening with us every day. There we go. Warnotes.com. This is our gift to you. And tell your friends about Warnotes uh, as well. You get an early look at the show, 4 p.m. Eastern every day. It's exactly how we put the show together every day. And you get to be part of our discussions. Of course, we always like to hear from you on social media at Leland Vitter on Instagram or on Twitter. Warnotes.com. Subscribe for free. You're going to get to hear tomorrow our thoughts about the hostage deal. Reportedly, the Israeli cabinet has just approved the deal to swap 50 hostages for a five-day pause, that breaking just in the past couple of minutes. We'll see you tomorrow night.